You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Brady Dennis, a national environmental reporter for The Post. As we kick off our week-long series, This is Climate, I'm pleased to be joined today by Mo Ibrahim, a Sudanese-born billionaire, entrepreneur, and philanthropist whose foundation focuses on the importance of governance and leadership in Africa. Dr. Ibrahim, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you very much for having me. And remember, we always want to hear from you, our audience. You can share your thoughts and questions for guests on Washington Post Live by tweeting at Post Live. Uh, Dr. Ibrahim, in September, you wrote that the global climate agenda is failing Africa's people by focusing on emissions reductions above everything else um, and ignoring the continent's pressing need for financing to adapt to climate change and for the the impacts we're already seeing from climate change. Um, As we just saw in the introductory video, uh, this is more or less what came out of um, the UN Climate Summit recently in Egypt. And I just wanted to ask you, since this just wrapped up um, in recent weeks, do you see COP27 as it was known as a success in your eyes, a failure, something in between? How are you thinking about the outcome um, of, of that global gathering? Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed, to be frank, because this was billed as an implementation conference, and we didn't see much implementation. Uh, the only something slightly positive came out of the conference was the acceptance of the principle of, of, of loss and damage. Uh, but even that, we, we, we didn't have any methodology uh, how that would be applied, who, who should pay, who should receive the money, what, uh, what basis. Uh, but at least the principle was accepted, uh, which it took 30 years for people to accept that very basic and, and simple issue. Uh, but we didn't see much really, unfortunately, coming out. Uh, people are still dragging their feet. We have a very serious problem. And yeah. uh, we're really failing to address it. Um, you know, you, you have written and spoken about the fact, and I just want to uh, concentrate on this first before we go into the details of, of what came out of the, the recent UN conference on the fact that for for many folks in Africa and for many parts of Africa, climate change is, uh, in your words, already existential. It's already a crisis of today, not a crisis of of the future. And I just wonder if you could take a moment and sort of talk talk to our viewers about that, about what makes Africa uniquely vulnerable to climate change and what kind of impacts um, uh, people there are already seeing in their lives. Okay, I mean, we, we uh, let's start with the fact that we all agree that Africans did not put this stuff up in the past. Even now, African contribution to the global emission is less than 3.5%, very low, actually. And actually, the Congo Basin only, the forest there, sinks about 4% of, 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 of the global emission annually, which effectively, Africa is already net zero. 
so we we are innocent uh but the 10 most affected countries 10 most vulnerable countries the climate change are all africans and that case causing a, a lot of issues in africa uh it forces migration uh, as people move from the uh, dry and 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 desertification uh, uh, to more pasture areas, produce conflicts between herders and 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 our farmers, obviously, and uh, that creates tension within the communities, uh, which can end up actually being violent. And we've seen that actually, we've already seen that in Darfur. We see that in the northern north of Nigeria. We we see that in other. Uh, places in Mali, etc. Uh, a lot of tension, and uh, many African countries also are not resilient enough to deal, to adapt with the changing uh, uh, climate. And uh, so they are affected, and then the resilience go down because they are being affected. It is, it is spiral, spiral downwards. Uh, so we are really affected by that. And uh, we also have a problem is that we need power. 600 million people in Africa live without electricity. Without electricity, there is no development. There is no education. There is no health. There is no life. Those people need power. And we have, of course, we need renewable power. We, we, we need major expansion of our solar uh, potential, which is great, but also we need gas. And that's an issue when some well-meaning people in the north decided that they will not support uh, or finance any gas projects in Africa. Why they are happy to take away African gas to, to, to use themselves. I mean, that's hypocrisy. So uh, nobody is paying attention to the real problem in Africa. And that was never was ignored even at, at COP26, ignored at COP27, because Africa has no voice in the global platform. We, 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 we are not part of the G7 or G8 or G20 or whatever. African Union need to be part of G20. We need better representation. And, uh, but uh, it's a problem. We don't have I want to come course. back. <clears throat> I, I very much want to come back to some of those issues um, that you just mentioned, especially how how Africa produces energy and and how it will in the future. Before we leave um, the topic of COP twenty seven and and the summit that just took place in Egypt, um, I think it's important to point out that for years, for decades, really, uh, wealthy developed countries have resisted funding for what's called loss and damage. And we should say for our viewers who aren't familiar with that term, that that is essentially paying for the, the notion of paying for damages uh, that have been caused by climate change, that, that the developed world has fueled climate change. This is causing, uh, you know, increasing problems across the developing world and the idea that there should be some compensation for that. We did see at this recent summit, you know, a, a fund at least established to begin that process. And I wonder, first off, what you may, why now? Why after so many years of resisting this, do you think developed countries 
um, at least gave some ground on that? And how significant or not uh, do you think it is to, to actually now have a fund uh, being created that can address some of these issues? Uh, yes, it took long time for people to, to accept that principle. And uh, which is really unfortunate. Uh, we are always late. We are always kicking the can. <laughs> and that is not, is not helpful. Uh, but even that fund to be created, as I said, there is no clear parameters there. Who is managing this fund? Uh, on what basis? Who decides? Uh, who will pay what and to whom? So there are a lot of work still need to be done. We are not there yet. But at least we accepted the principle. That is a step forward. And this is our problem as a human race, is that we are always late. We are always late. We are always kicking the can. And that is not helpful. We need some urgency to deal with an urgent problem. You just noted that uh, some 600 million people in Africa uh, still lack reliable access to electricity. Um, and you've written uh, that there can be no climate justice without energy justice. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what, how, what you mean by that and how we um, as a world and Africa as, as a continent um, balance the need for energy, the need for growth and development with these uh, very clear you know, threats from, from a warming climate. How, 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 how is that best done? Yeah, we, we, need, we need to have a balance here and a realistic balance. And uh, uh, there is no development without power, actually. And so far, power meant emission. And you can measure the development of any country in the world by the amount of emissions they put up there. There is a very strong correlation perfect correlation between emission and development. So we need to acknowledge that. And uh, while we're trying to reduce these emissions, at the same time, we should not neglect the need for development in Africa. If, especially that African emissions are extremely low. And as I mentioned, our thinking actually exceeds our emission. So we we are we are already at net zero. Uh, one problem we have for for example in Africa is uh, cooking, unclean cooking. Uh, you know where families use wood or you know uh, whatever wood chips etc. Coal to, to 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 cook food which is very dangerous and, and bad for the health of people and bad for the environment. That need to be replaced, need to be sorted out. So there is a need for us to really move forward. And at the same time, we need to ensure that also developing our green economy. We need major investments in, in, in our green economy and green power. One fact I really want to mention, which not many people know about it. Already, out of 54 countries in Africa, 22 countries rely mainly on renewable for their energy needs. 22 countries mainly use 
hydropower, uh, geothermal, solar. Their main source of power is renewable. I don't think of any continent in the world which has that ratio. So we are doing all what we can. We 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 building our green economy, etc. It's just you need to go faster and build more. Meanwhile, gas should be an acceptable transition for Africa. Gas has been accepted as a transition in Europe, in America, everywhere. Why not in Africa? <laughs> when we are the least polluting of anybody else, uh, that is what we mean by climate justice there. We need to be sensible. So I want to follow up on both of those points that you just made. One, one is the fact that, as you mentioned, more than 20 African countries already do rely on, on some form of renewable energy. My question on that would be, uh, what more can be done to scale those, those uh, renewables across the continent? Um, and then separately on the issue of gas as a, as a transition fuel, absolutely, this has been used all over the world um, and continues to be. Uh, uh, folks who want to, you know, uh, scale back emissions say we should skip that step. And I just wonder how you think of that um, from the perspective of Africa. Uh, and finally, if I could just throw one one more uh, piece of that, I wonder how the war in Ukraine, Russia's war in Ukraine, um, has changed the supply and demand of African energy sources in, in just the past calendar year or so. All right, let me start with your last question. Uh, the war in Ukraine, of course, has been bad for everybody, but also bad for Africa because it, it affected our food security. We have problem. We're already coming out of COVID with, with battered economies, and we end up now with a problem where energy prices are rising and uh, food uh, really becoming a problem and more expensive. So it is bad news for us. No question about that. That's, of course, it's bad news for everybody. Uh, so that's something we hope to be sorted out as soon as possible. Uh, as far as the, uh, the energy markets uh, and, and situation in Africa, now uh, Europe, which a couple of years ago decided that they should stop funding any gas projects in Africa because they are really very people and uh, they should stop doing that. Also, they have not stopped funding, you know, in their own countries. I mean, how much Nord Stream cost, how much all these coal power stations which Germany built after they closed down the nuclear energy. Of course, that's fine for them, but not for us. Uh, but now, we, we leaders are running around Africa now to, to, to try to sign contracts and, 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 and extract gas because they need gas now to replace uh, Russian gas, and uh, and that's fine, that's fine. We have plenty of gas. We have huge uh, reserves, and yes, we are happy to share that with the people who need it, etc. But we also need some of this gas for our own uh, uh, people. Uh, it's important because we cannot just completely at this stage rely on renewable. It's not enough. It can we cannot do it, and nobody else is doing it. So that is something really uh, uh, we should try to work on. We need a lot of investment, both in renewable in Africa, because we have huge potential for solar. And 
we we just tapping that. We need massive investment there, and that has to come from somewhere. Uh, as you know, the the the, the dip market for Africa is almost you cannot tap it. I mean, it is we 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 pay so much interest in our debt, it becomes unsustainable uh, because you are always uh, uh, rated as. Uh, at, at some investment grade, and uh, uh, this is another issue. But it, 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 I always wondered why the poor have to pay huge interest in their loans and the rich pay so little. It doesn't seem to be sensible, and something needs to be done there. Uh, I mean, b b before COVID, uh, rich countries will borrow at half percent interest rate or one percent interest rate. Africa borrows at 10, 11, 12 percent rate. I, I, I mean, it's, it's tough. How can you uh, uh, develop your countries with this kind of uh, uh, very expensive uh, financing? We need to, and that shows actually the problems we have with our multilateral system, which is another discussion, because I think neither the World Bank or IMF are now fit for to, to deal with the issues of, of the 21st centuries, uh, we need to find a, a better role for them. We need to rewrite their mission, actually. So when, as you as you well know, Africa as a continent is very resource, resource rich, and that may be in renewables or uh, minerals, oil and gas reserves. Uh, my question on that front is what steps can and should be taken uh, to make sure that all those resources are developed both in a smart way and a way that is environmentally sound, but also um, that avoids what you have written about as the resource curse that, that has plagued many uh, countries in the continent and, and around the world. How do you ensure that uh, African nations and more importantly, African people uh, benefit from some of those resources um, and that the, the benefits don't just go elsewhere in the world? Well, you, you really raise a very important point. Thank you for raising this point. Uh, the future, really, of, of green energy relies a lot on the, all these minerals, which are essential for the green economy. And we have like 70% of some of these minerals in Africa. And the consumption of these minerals is likely to increase by about 500% in the next decade. Uh, really to deal with, 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 with that energy transition. Uh, we have huge resources there. Two things need to be done. First, for us Africa, to be a little bit more smart and a little bit more uh, really reasonable about how we develop our own resources. All the, or, or most of the resource extraction of Africa actually has been really uh, skewed, has been unfair, uh, dubious contracts, not negotiated well. There was briberies, people were giving up resources for cheap bribes here and there. I mean, we had, I don't want to go through details, but you know what happened in, in Guinea with the iron Minerals there, and, and there are so many stories. Uh, Congo, Congo is one, supposed to be one of the richest countries in the world with the resources they have. 
yet it is one of the poorest countries because the way they mismanage the resources. That's why we have a fight in our hand to improve governance and leadership in Africa. That's what we focus on in my foundation because this is a curse and resources should be a blessing, not a curse. So we have some work to do ourselves, but also our partners also need to improve their own governance and to ask the private sector to behave in a better way. Because we have a problem also with multinationals not behaving properly in Africa. Do you know that illicit flows of illicit financial flows of Africa is about hundred billion dollars every year? That more than double the total amount of aid given to Africa. And you ask the question, who is funding whom? Illicit financial flows, people are not paying taxes, people are mispricing, and all these are very respectable companies. And some of this stuff is legal because we need to improve really governance in a lot of our issues there. I mean, it is not right that uh, 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 people uh, uh, don't pay taxes and misprice uh, uh, their products and, you know, profit shifting. Uh, it's not right. At least now the OCD is looking into that because some African, some European countries have been hit with the same problem recently, and now they are running around to see what they can do about it. Let us see what we'll do. On the issue uh, of governance, which of course your foundation uh, focuses on heavily, we should acknowledge Africa is not a monolith. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a continent of uh, 54 yes. different countries, each of whom have different needs, different uh, strategies, different populations, different goals, you know, uh, different aims when it comes to both climate uh, aspirations and economic development. And so you 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 advocate for greater economic integration and alignment on these issues. Why is that so important? And what does it take for that actually to happen uh, across a continent, you know, as as massive and populated as Africa? I think market size matters. And I always ask my friends in Africa, imagine for a moment that China, which has the same population as same number of people as 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 Africa. We both have like 1.314 billion people. If China was 54 countries, each one had its own regulations, its own currencies, its own system. Uh, where, where China would have been today? China would have been in the same place like Africa. Because unless you have the, 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 you know, the, the critical size which enable you to integrate your economy, enable you to have better deals with the other trading partners and uh, enable you to move from uh, uh, just mining raw materials into vertical and, and more productive processing, uh, manufacturing, etc., will stay poor. So it is very, the, the, the project of integrating African economy is vital. At the moment, it's much easier to move goods from West Africa to China than moving same goods from West Africa to East Africa. It doesn't work this way. 
it doesn't work. And we have to find a way really to bring our economy. Of course, now we have an agreement uh, to create this trading, Pan-African trading zone, the uh, agreement moving on is still is moving slowly, but we hope we started to recognize the importance of creating, creating the African coal market. We need to do that. And uh, I just want to mention that when we say the resource cares, uh, I really want also to upload what countries like Botswana did, for example, which managed its resources really for the benefit of its own people. That is a mm. shining example in good governance. That's something we need to subdue, and we hope more countries follow that example. So I want to sneak in a couple of last questions here, if possible. And one is that, you know, as someone who has succeeded uh, in private industry like yourself, what more would you like to see and, and do you think is expected of the private sector in terms of addressing climate change, particularly in Africa? Right. I, I, I think we need better governance. What, what is the purpose of business? It cannot be just making profit at any cost. We, we are part of this fabric of the society around us. We cannot succeed if the community around us is failing. We cannot, we have to really think long term. We need really to thrive as a business and a thriving environment and thriving community. That's really essential for us. And uh, that's why I think in our fight for good governance in Africa, we discovered that we cannot have good fight, you know, good governance in Africa without good governance in the boardrooms of companies. Because you look at any, any issue, I mean, if people talk about corruption, but what corruption means? It means that for every uh, African corrupt politician, there is a dozen of corrupt business people, because that's how it works. Politicians don't corrupt themselves. You know, it takes takes two to at least to tango here. So who are those guys? Who are those business people doing that? Should, shouldn't we do something about this? That's really important. I mentioned illicit financial flows. It's not, it's not right. It's not right. Because this means kids doesn't, don't go to schools. Uh, that's how business people need to understand. When you try to shift your profit and don't pay your taxes or don't do the right thing, this means death for some people because of failing of health systems, kids don't go into school, means conflicts, uh, means migration, means, you know, so uh, we hope that business really uh, rethink what what its purpose, what is that for? So uh, probably our last question here, but I wanted to make sure and ask you more of a philosophical question here uh, before before we ran out of time, which is when you step back and you look at the continent as a whole, um, both on in terms of Africa's future uh, for the development and for its people, but also for the perils that it faces in you know you know in the face of climate change. Are you on the whole optimistic? What are your biggest concerns? I mean, how do you think about the future of this very important continent? I'm, 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 I'm really optimistic for a number of reasons. 
we have a much better younger generation now. And all my hopes really rest on this young generation. That young generation is better informed, better connected, better educated than our generation. And it is in their hand now to move forward. I, I've just published an article in the uh, Foreign Affairs uh, magazine, the US uh, magazine, uh, called Africa's past is not its future because we had a terrible past, but we need to stop thinking and complaining about our past. Yes, we had slavery, we had colonialism, we had the Cold War with all its problems. We need to forget about that. The future is in our hand. It is in the hands of our young people. And I am sure that will be a much better future. That's why I'm optimistic. Seems like a good place to leave it, although uh, we hope to continue the conversation in the future with you. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today, so we'll have to leave it there. Mo Ibrahim, thank you so much for joining us today at Washington Post Live. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.